All right, Don, I'm ready. You want me to take the opening, huh? It's a two-fisted, quick-triggered marksman who shoots from the hip and never misses. Well, hello again. This is Buck Benning speaking. Welcome to another episode of Suspense. Tonight we have a special double feature for you. We're going to be presenting uh, Dorothy McGuire in Suspense, followed by Dorothy McGuire and Robert Young, recreating their film roles from the Enchanted Cottage on Lux Radio Theater. Both of these shows are from uh, about the same time frame, and so I thought it would be fun to present them back to back. Uh, I want to dedicate this to my wife. Um, she loves Dorothy McGuire. Probably the main reason for that is that um, she was in Enchanted Cottage. It's, it's just a great film. If you haven't seen Enchanted Cottage, I think both men and women would, would like this. It's, it's one of those chick flicks that works for guys as well, because it kind of has a Twilight Zone thing going through it. Suspense! Tonight, Autolite and its 96,000 dealers present Miss Dorothy McGuire in Last Confession. A suspense play, produced and edited by William Spear. Friends, millions of masterful motorists have been made merry by the miraculous magic of those magnificent marvels, wide-gap Autolite resistor spark plugs. They let your engine idle smoother, perform better on leaner gas mixtures, actually save you gas. They cut down on television interference, too, and have up to 200% longer electrode life. Backed by the research and engineering know-how of Autolite, Autolite resistor spark plugs today are used as original equipment in many of America's finest cars. So, friends, don't be satisfied with spark plugs supposed to be as good. Get genuine Autolite resistor spark plugs. Remember, you're always right with Autolite. And here's a reminder. Suspense on television may be seen in many parts of the country every Tuesday night. And now, with last confession... And with the performance of Dorothy McGuire, Autolite hopes once again to keep you in suspense. Oh, isn't that horrible, Edna? Let's see. Gee, is that the way they found him? Yeah, that's the way they found him. Oh, he was knifed. All twisted up like that. Lying there in the mud. Ooh, who do you suppose is guilty? They didn't even find the knife. They'll never find out who did it. Oh, sure they will. No, they won't. Oh, Jesse, put that paper down. Every time something awful, awful happens, you have to read all about it down to the last detail. No, I don't. Yes, you do. What can you see so fascinating in horrible things? They make such a bad impression on you. <laughs> Remember when we went to see Johnny Belinda in the movies? Yeah. You could hardly talk for a week. That imagination of yours. Oh, look. 
says here they found a lady's glove. Black. Size five. Hey, that's my size. Well, see, it could be anybody. Size five is my size, too. Just think how many people could have done uh, it. Ah, they'll find out. Somebody's conscience will begin bothering them, and, and then you'll see. A person that would do a thing like that wouldn't have a conscience. Besides, maybe he deserved it. How do you know? Everybody has a conscience. I'll get whoever it was. Don't you worry. I wonder who did it. I wonder who it could have been. Mm, it's funny how murders affect me. Even reading about them in the papers or listening to the radio. When someone's killed, I always feel like I did it. Still, how can one person kill another person? How can he? Human flesh and blood. And then, not to confess it, how can he stand that guilt? Could I ever kill someone? You wouldn't think so. You wouldn't think I'd be the sort of... Well, then, nobody is ever the sort of person to be a killer until he's killed someone. I don't know. Every time something like this murder comes up, I keep thinking maybe... Maybe I did it. Maybe when I was asleep or something, I got up and, and did it. Edna? Hmm? What day was he killed? What day? Yeah, what day? Tuesday. I think it was. It says here someplace. Wait a second. Uh, in the woods four miles from the city limits of... No, no, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah, here it is. Police believe Howard was killed sometime between 5 and 7 p.m. on Tuesday, July 12th. Tuesday, July 12th. How can they estimate that closely? Oh, they can, all right. Oh, is that his picture? Yeah, here. Here, you take it. Thomas L. Howard of Los Angeles, who was found dead in Woodland Grove here last... No, tonight. Poor Tommy. Tommy, did you know him? I went out with him once. Hey, did, did you turn off the heat? Huh? Did you turn off the heat, Jesse? The house seems awfully warm. Yeah. Oh, no, no, I didn't turn the heat off. It's roasting in here. Imagine turning on the heat anyway during the summer months in Los Angeles. Well, it was chilly in here this morning. Hey, Edna. I can hear you. Keep talking. Well, look at him. At who? At this picture of Howard, the man who was killed. What about him? Let's see. Yeah, so what? What about him? He's just like him. Who? Remember Henry Hackers, the boy I used to go with, the one on Morella Avenue, the dark-haired one with the funny kind of eyes? You mean the one who... Yeah. Oh, sure. But Tommy didn't look anything like Henry. You're crazy. Look at that hairline and the cleft in the chin. Oh, for Pete's sake. Well, now, don't tell me you don't see any resemblance. It's just like Henry Hackers. Well, a little, maybe, but... Oh, gee whiz, Jesse. You've got the darndest imagination. Henry Hackers. He sure wasn't what you'd call good-looking. He had a cute smile, though, and sort of funny little way he'd brush his hair out of his eyes. And then he'd walk with one shoulder just a little higher than the other. Henry Hackers. <laughs> he was such a nice boy. Although, I never thought he'd want to get serious. A man can make you feel so guilty if you don't love him. Just because he loves you, he thinks... And that awful thing he said the last time. When was that? When was that? 
But, Jesse, I... I can't help it. It's just the way I feel about you. But at least let me call you. You, you might change your mind. I won't change my mind, Henry. But you can't do it, Jesse. We had something, you and me. We made such a swell couple. I had wonderful plans well, for us, Henry, Jesse. Well, Henry, I can't help it. But the way I feel is just the way I feel. It's been getting too serious lately, if you know what I mean. And when a slight flirtation grows out of hand, things can happen that'll only make people awfully unhappy when things don't work out. Slight flirtation? Well, I'm sorry. I'm very sorry. But I thought it was a little more than a slight flirtation. The nights I laid awake thinking about it. Oh, don't get sore. Well, I want you to know this, Jesse. I just want you to know it and remember it as long as you live. You've done something to me that's beyond repair. And if something should happen to me, and believe me, it very well might, I just want you to know you're responsible. Henry! What a horrible thing to say. It's like... It's like a curse. Now, if you want, I'll drive you home. Responsible. Telling me I'd be responsible. Ah, poor Henry. I should have talked to him again after that. He kept calling. But I felt so guilty. Wouldn't it be funny if instead of this Tommy fellow here, it was Henry that got killed? Between 5 and 7 o'clock on Tuesday, July 12th. Tuesday, July 12th. Let's see. Tuesday, July 12th. I came from work at 4, and I told Edna I was going out and I wouldn't be back. Now, where was I going? Gosh! My memory. Where was I going? What's the matter with me? Where was I between 5 and 7 on Tuesday, July 12th? Gosh, that wasn't so long ago. I should remember that. I remember later that night, I remember at 11, I was in bed because uh, Wednesday I had to be down to work an hour early to get out those new invoice forms. Hey, you know, if they hauled me down to the police station right now and began asking me, where were you on Tuesday, July 12th, between 5 and 7 p.m., I wouldn't have a thing to say. <laughs> Edna? Hey, have you read a little Abner yet? Edna, listen, put down that paper. <laughs> yeah? Look, now, now, don't laugh, will you? At what? At what I'm going to say. What I'm going to ask you. <laughs> Go ahead, I won't laugh. Do you remember where you were on Tuesday, July 12th, between 5 and 7 p.m.? Why? Do you remember? Well, let's see. Sure, July 12th? Uh-huh. Sure, I went shopping over at Rawkins, and then I ate dinner, and then met Carl Maffaletti, and we went to a movie. Gee, that's funny. What? Well, you remember so easy. Oh, well, I know it was Tuesday because Tuesday was the day they had the sale at Rawkins. That's why I went shopping that day. I can't remember at all. What do you mean? Do you remember what I did between 5 and 7? I was gone all day, honey. I just explained well, that. Well, it's funny, but I can't remember a thing during those two hours. Well, well I must have done something. I, I just didn't die between 5 and 7 on Tuesday, oh, July 12th. Oh, forget 12th. it, Jesse. I'm going out on the fire escape and take the sun. If the phone rings, get it, will you? Sure. I haven't talked to him for such a long time. I'm going to call him. It's the least I can do after all the times he called me and I didn't even answer the phone. Hello? Mrs. Hackers? Yes, who is this? This is Jesse Larkin, Mrs. Hackers. Yes? Is Henry there? Henry? Yes, is he there? If this is 
your idea of a joke, Jesse? It's in terribly bad taste. A joke? I'm not joking. I'd like to talk to him. I know how you feel about the way I treated him, Mrs. Hackers, but really, I... don't I... know what's the matter with you, Jesse. I don't know whether you're crazy or what. You know that Henry is dead. Dead? Henry Hackers, dead. How could I forget a thing like that? It's simple forgetting your coat in a restaurant or your purse in a movie, but forgetting the boy you used to date, the boy you refused to marry just a few days ago, forgetting he's dead. It just doesn't happen. Henry, dead. How? I'm responsible, just like he said, like a curse, just like I took a knife out of the kitchen drawer and deliberately plunged it into his heart. Yeah, but could I? Could I murder? Actually murder? With a knife? Kill? A black glove. Size five was found at the scene of the crime. Only one. Just one black glove in the drawer. Oh, Jesse. Oh. oh. What'd I wear on Tuesday? Oh, there'd be tears in the dress from the twigs. And mud, baby, from when I dragged the... No. Oh, everything's all right. My blue dress. The seam on the sleeve and the hem and the mud on the skirt. I did it. There lies poor Henry. Henry face down in the mud in the woods. And I did it. I did it. I did it. I did it. Autolite is bringing you Miss Dorothy McGuire in Last Confession. Tonight's production in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. Hi, Harlow. All set for fall driving? Ready, set, and raring to go, Hap. Put in those peppy, powerful, pistol-packing, wide-gap Autolite resistor spark plugs. How's that? Smooth. That's the word, smooth, for smoother idling. Your motor purrs like a cuddly kitty with Autolite resistor spark plugs. I take it easy. That's the word, easy, for easier, breezier starts in cold temperatures with ALRSP. Hey, you've improved. That's the word, improved. Improved engine performance on leaner gas mixtures. You save gas with Autolite resistor spark plugs. Know how? No, how? Right. Autolite engineering know-how and research made the thrifty Autolite resistor spark plug possible. Twenty millions have been sold. How much longer can this last? Two hundred percent, Hap. Autolite resistor spark plugs have up to two hundred percent longer electrode life. Oh, my gosh. Ohm is right. The exclusive Autolite 10,000 Ohm resistor engineered into every Autolite resistor spark plug makes possible easier starting in cold temperatures. Get on the ball for fall. Get Autolite resistor spark plugs. Remember, you're always right with Autolite. And now, Autolite brings back to our Hollywood soundstage Dorothy McGuire in Last Confession, a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. This is where the paper said I left him. Oh, I don't really remember the place, not really. 
It's like being someplace you think you've been before and you're not sure. I've got to find out. I've got to know. Gosh. I wonder why I picked a place like this. All these bushes. Ooh, might be snakes and all sorts of dangerous things. Stand where you are. <gasps> what? Okay, you don't move. Just stay right where you are. Lieutenant Fleming. Oh. Hello, Lieutenant. What are you doing here? Oh, just just curious, really. You know, I, I read about it in the papers. What's your name? I'm just curious, that's all. What's your name? Jesse. Jesse Larkin. Mm, okay, Jesse. Run along. You ought to know better than to hang around a place like this, especially so late at night. Well, it was the glove size, the black glove. I, 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 I know a girl that wears that size. Is that so? Uh, yeah. Uh, have you found the murder weapon yet? Not yet. That's pretty essential to find, isn't it? I, I mean, to prove somebody's guilt. Yeah. Sometimes they save us all the trouble, though. Come in and confess. Oh. Say, it's terrible, isn't it? A nice young man like that. Yeah? Well, there you are. You still don't know who did it. Well, we've got it pretty well narrowed down to one of his girlfriends. Oh. Hey, you run along now. I wouldn't worry too much about the Tommy Howard killing if I were you, Jesse. Howard killing? Oh. No, I won't. Howard. He called him Howard. Why? Why would that lieutenant call him Howard? I've got to buy a paper and found out if, if they know that it really was Henry Hackers. But then Mrs. Hackers told me and... Oh, I'm so mixed up. I, I'm forgetting so many things. Henry's last name was Hackers. Henry ha... No. Henry Howard. Henry Howard. Yes, that was it. I remember when Edna showed me the paper, that's what it said. Henry Howard. Girlfriends, the officer said. Henry didn't go out with very many girls. Let's see, there was Fran Gilbert. I know he took her out a couple of times. And uh, Barbara. Barbara, what was her name? Oh, I gotta see them. I gotta see whether they've got alibis. If none of them did it, then it must have been me. Oh, and I gotta be clever about it. Not let them know what I'm after. I'll say, real casual. By the way, Fran... What were you doing between 5 and 7 p.m. on Tuesday, July 12th? Well, it's been a nice chat, honey. I still don't know who you are or what you're doing here, but it's been real nice. Well, I told you, I, I heard you were an actress, and I've always wanted to be oh, one. Oh, come on, and I... leave us on up. You hear about Henry, what's his name? Henry. Yes. Something about his estate? Well, he left me nothing but the memory of two miserable evenings over some warm beer. No, nothing like that. I was just sort of wondering what you were doing between 5 and 7 on Tuesday, July 12th. Between what and what on when? 5 and 7 on Tuesday, July 12th. Wait a minute. Are you a cop gal or something? That was the time the paper said that Howard was killed. Howard? Look, blue eyes talking in circles makes me dizzy. You're either crazy or a cop or a digger with an angle. Whichever it is, I'm surprisingly uninterested. Scoot. Well, all right. If you're sure you know what you were doing... Just to ease your mind, my lady, I was swabbing decks on the USS New Mexico with a vacuum cleaner, and the Navy will back me up. Satisfied? Well, thank you. Goodbye. It was nice meeting you. 
Oh, no. She's got an alibi. She didn't do it. She couldn't have. She didn't even remember Henry's last name. I don't quite understand, Miss Larkin. I'm from the Los Angeles Police Department, Miss Keeley. What do you want? I'm a policewoman, you understand? Yes. I'm interested in a Henry... Hackers? Uh... Yes. Yes. You knew he was found four miles from the city limits in the woods? Henry? Henry Hackers is dead, but... Well, you're talking about the Howard case. I don't know a thing about that. Where were you and what were you doing between the hours of 5 and 7 on Tuesday, July 12th? See here, I don't see any reason for answering any of your questions. Do you have a warrant? Well, I thought it best to make this a informal visit. I thought perhaps I wouldn't need to go into any legalities. Uh, we can make this very simple without a lot of complications. Now, what were you doing between 5 and 7 on July 12th? I think you'd better talk to my lawyer, Miss Larkin. I'm answering no questions without his permission. Good day. Very well. Goodbye. I'll be seeing you again. Goodbye. Just remember, we have your name on file... All of them have alibis. I knew they would, really. And that leaves only me. I must have done it. Henry was right. I am responsible for his death. I deserve what I'll get. I'll deserve it when they sentence me and the judge and no one to stand by me. No one in the world but Edna. Edna. I'll tell her everything. She'll understand how it is. you been? Where did you go? I've been so worried. I, All right, I I'll tell you. I'll tell you everything. I've got to trust you, Edna. You're the only one in the world I can trust. Well? Well, you, you know the murder in the papers. Yeah, what about it? It was me. What? Yes, it was me. You're out of your head. No, I wish I was, Edna. Honest, I wish you I was. You ought to see a doctor, kid. Honest, I mean no, it. No, uh, we were out there together in a car. I remember it so clearly. And he, and he started getting fresh. Uh, but I mean fresh. And I slapped him. Well, I had this knife with me. I, I don't remember where I got it, but I had it in my purse. And I, I stabbed Jessie. him. And I stabbed him. And I stabbed him. And then I, I realized what I'd done. And I was terribly sorry, Edna. Oh, I was awfully sorry. But I had to get rid of him. So I dragged the body to the woods. Inside, away from the highway. And I left him there. And I took the knife... But I forgot one of my gloves. Jesse. Oh. Jesse, we've been roommates for three years, honey. I, I would have sworn you couldn't have dreamed of anything like this. Do you honestly believe... I always had a violent temper. You know that, Edna. Not to kill. Well, I did. And now the only thing is I can't find the knife. Where would I have put it, Edna? No, Jesse. Jesse, you stay here. Will you promise to stay here until I come back? I can't, Edna. I've got to confess. I couldn't live with a thing like that on my conscience. Promise I me. I couldn't. Please, Jesse, promise. You're not to leave the house. Well, all right. If you say so. See what kind of a person I am? I couldn't even keep a simple promise to my best friend. I had to go. Maybe after I confess this... this terrible headache will go away. Oh, there it is. The police station. Well, I certainly will deserve what I get. 
I hope they give me the maximum penalty prescribed by law. Yes? Oh, hello. Are you in charge here? Almost. What can I do for you? I'd like to confess to the Howard murder. Who do I see? Certainly, Lieutenant. Sit down. Thank you. Uh, Jesse, I... Well, your case is solved, isn't it? Yes. You don't seem to feel too good about it. I don't. I don't, Jesse. Did you find the knife? Yes. Ah. Jesse, we have a couple of visitors for you. I think after you've seen them, you'll feel much better. Uh, that's what our doctor thinks. Visitors who? Uh, uh, Mrs. Hackers, will you come in, please? Mrs. Hackers. Jesse. Oh, don't hate me too much, Mrs. Hackers. You're going to be released, Jesse. The police can take no action on your case, and not at the present time. Mrs. Hackers here read about your confessions in the papers. She called us and told us you couldn't have killed oh, Howard. Jesse, be- my poor child. Why did you call her Mrs. Hackers? Jesse. When you knew I deserved it? When you knew I killed him? Your only son. Tell him the truth, Mrs. Hackers. You didn't kill Henry, Between Jessie. five and seven on July 12th... Jesse, don't I, you remember where you were? I was... I was... No. I can't think. I can't remember. Now think, Jesse. Try to remember. Between five and seven on July 12th. Now, if you remember, everything will be straightened out in your I mind. I can't. The flowers, dear. You I, were crying. I, you cried when I put down the flowers. The flowers. You cried, Jesse. Don't you remember? The flowers. The funeral. Yes. Henry's funeral. Oh, I remember. I I cried when you put the flowers down. That's right, dear. I, the doctor I, says maybe you oh. felt guilty inside or something because he was dead. But you're going to be all right. Yes, Jesse. Apparently, you just blotted those two hours out of your mind. Doc says sometimes it happens that way with some of us. Your mind just blots out a thing that's too painful to remember. Yes, but then... My dress and the gloves. Oh, no, I must have somehow. Uh, just, I must have. Uh, just a minute, Jesse, please. I, oh. All right. Come in, please. Oh, Edna. Hello, Jesse. Edna, oh, I'm so glad Jessie, you came. Jesse, Jesse, you promised me you wouldn't leave the house. Edna, I couldn't have done it. I couldn't have. Mrs. Hacker said I was with her at Henry's funeral between 5 and 7 on July 12th. The only thing I can't figure out is my missing glove and my blue dress. Jesse, I, 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 I didn't want to tell you because I was afraid to, but that day on July 12th, I borrowed your blue dress and your gloves. You borrowed them? I had a date. I I knew you'd be wearing your black dress to the funeral, so I... Oh, Jesse, I kept quiet when it looked as though nobody else was going to be blamed for it, but... Edna! I don't believe it! It's true, Jesse. If it hadn't been for you, I'd never have told anybody. I didn't know that all these days you've been convincing yourself that you... Edna! Edna! When I went out, when I told you not to leave the house... I went and got the knife. I buried it in the vacant lot. And I brought it to the police. Poor Edna. All that killed. But I want you to know, Jesse, that Tom Howard was no good. And if anybody ever deserved... 
Can I please go now? Yes. How do you feel now, Jesse? What? How do you feel? Poor Edna. She was your roommate, wasn't she, Jesse? Not just a roommate, Mrs. Hathers. She was my best friend. Come on, dear. I'll take you home. Mrs. Hackers. Yes, dear? How, how did Henry die? Of pneumonia. He died very peacefully. Oh. I'm sorry. I'm very sorry for all the trouble I caused. I'm very sorry. Suspense, presented by Autolite. Tonight's star, Dorothy McGuire, in Last Confession. Notice the day is getting shorter, Harlow? Did you say shorter? Don't Good use job. that word around here. We're only interested in things that last longer, like Autolite resistor spark plugs. Those famous fast-firing, wide-gap spark plugs that have up to 200% longer electrode life. And Autolite resistor spark plugs let your engine run better on leaner gas mixtures, actually save you gas. Autolite makes complete electrical systems for many makes of America's finest cars. Batteries, spark plugs, generators, starting motors, coils, distributors. All engineered to fit together perfectly, work together perfectly, because they're a perfect team. Get Autolite original factory parts at your neighborhood service station, car dealer, garage, or repair shop. Remember, you're always right with Autolite. Next Thursday for Suspense, John Lund will be our star. The play is called Experiment 6R, and it is, as we say... A tale well calculated to keep you in... Suspense! Tonight's Suspense play was produced and edited by William Spear and directed by Norman MacDonald. Music for Suspense is composed by Lucian Morawieck and conducted by Lud Gluskin. Last Confession was a radio play by David Ellis. Dorothy McGuire will soon be seen in the 20th Century Fox picture, O Doctor. In the coming weeks, you will hear such stars as Charles Lawton, June Havoc, Van Johnson, and Betty Davis. Oh, and don't forget, next Thursday, same time, Autolite will present Suspense, starring John Lund. Spark plugs, Autolite stayful batteries, Autolite electrical parts at your neighborhood Autolite dealers. Switch to Autolite. Good night. Your National Foundation for Infantile Paralysis has only enough money to last two more weeks. Help now. Send dimes and dollars to polio care of your local post office. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Well, hello again. This is Buck Benny speaking. Welcome to a very special presentation of The Enchanted Cottage. 
This show goes out dedicated to my wife, who's put up with me for close to 20 years. It'll be 20 years this summer. And uh, she's a special lady who somehow sees uh, that there's something special in me, I guess. Anyway, this this show is uh, stars Robert Young and Dorothy McGuire, both from the film version. The film version is now available. You can get it on Amazon. It's about 17, something like that. And it's well worth it if you've never seen this film. A great film to show. Watch every Valentine's Day, but here's a version of it you can listen to. Don't know if it has the same impact exactly, but it's amazing. And um, Robert Young says that it's the favorite film that he ever did. And he actually named uh, one of his houses <laughs> later on. In later years, um, The Enchanted Cottage. Uh, just a phenomenal film, and especially resident today with so many wounded warriors coming home from Afghanistan and Iraq. And, uh, and I just think every wounded warrior's family should watch this presentation. It's uh, pretty amazing. If you're a fan of Twilight Zone or you're a fan of great romantic films, you'll like this either way. I think it appeals to men and women equally if they watch the whole thing. It starts off a little slow, but then it speeds up. So, anyway, enjoy. I'm going to try and bring it to you every Valentine's Day from here on out. Lux presents Hollywood. The Lux Radio Theater brings you Robert Young and Dorothy McGuire in The Enchanted Cottage. Ladies and gentlemen, your guest producer, Mr. Hunt Stromberg. Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. Uppermost in our hearts and minds this holiday is a thought of peace and the knowledge that millions of our fighting men are coming home. Some will return, as they have already, with the scars and disillusionment of battle faced with problems of adjustment that require not alone their fortitude, but ours as well. Our sympathy, our tact, and our understanding. This is a the theme of tonight's Lux Radio Theater play, RKO's courageous and inspiring drama, The Enchanted Cottage, starring Robert Young and Dorothy McGuire in the roles they filled so ably on the screen. Written originally by Sir Arthur Wing Pinero, it tells how one returning soldier finds a strange and unexpected love to take the place of tragedy and heartbreak. Of course, all men come back to something different, but each looks forward to essentially the same reward, home and love and a return to familiar things. And I think every fighting man feels grateful to the women of America who've kept the home fires burning and kept themselves as tender and as lovely as the day they said goodbye. If a product like Lux Toilet Soap has helped a little, help those women guard their feminine loveliness then that is another tribute to their good sense and discrimination. In fact, it's that very preference for Lux that enables us to raise this curtain every Monday night and bring you now The Enchanted Cottage, starring Robert Young as Oliver Bradford and Dorothy McGuire as Laura Pennington. Lonely, remote, the cottage stands today as it has for 150 years. Close by, the restless Atlantic beats upon the rocky New England shore. 
and all about is a forest, a place of awe and strange beauty. Forgotten lovers of forgotten generations knew the place well. For a long, long ago, brides and grooms would come to the cottage to spend their honeymoons. In more recent years, the cottage has been owned by a widow, a Mrs. Minnett, who keeps her distance and sees to it that others keep theirs. But four years ago, on a December morning, Mrs. Minnett was expecting a caller. The caller came from the village. Near the cottage, she encountered a boy. Hello, Daddy. What are you doing way out here? We're taking a walk, Miss Pennington. Uncle John and I. Mr. Hillgrove? Uh-huh. He's blind. Yes, I know. Where is he? Oh, back by the old ball. He says there's lots of music around here. He wanted to sit and think about it. Well, you'd better not wander off, Danny. I just thought maybe I could find out about the witch. She lives in the cottage. Oh, that's just Mrs. Minnett, Danny. And I'm about to call on her. You don't think I go calling on a witch, do you? Exit. Here, Uncle John. He calls me Jaxie because I take him places. <laughs> Stay there. I'll catch up with you. Okay. Lots of people say she's a witch. Oh, I'm afraid you're just a couple of hundred years too late for witches, Danny. Yeah, I guess I'm a couple of hundred years too late for anything. Well, I wouldn't worry about it. I think something will turn up. You really think so? Mm-hmm. Well, here's Uncle John. This is Miss Pennington, Uncle John. How do you do, Mr. Hillgrove? Good morning. Uncle John is a great piano player, Miss Pennington. He plays the piano. Yes, I've read about him. It'll be nice if all the critics had Danny's enthusiasm. <laughs> well, goodbye, Miss Pennington. Nice to have met you. Thank you. Goodbye. Your friend has a very pleasant voice, Danny. Yeah, but she sure is homely, Uncle John. Well, that's not nice, Danny. Don't you always say I should tell the truth? There's a time and a place, even for the truth. You say so, Uncle John. But she really is homely. Where is she going? To see Mrs. Minnett. Oh. Well, let's get back to the village. <laughs> Yes. Mrs. Minnett, I'm Laura Pennington. Come in. Thank you. Oh, this room. It's just as I imagined it would be. Sit down, please. I understand you're looking for a job. Well, I suppose I'm really looking for a home. I need a young woman to help me, Miss Pennington. One without attachments. And I can't have anyone here who believes in that ridiculous notion that this cottage is, well, haunted. It's not haunted. You know that, don't you? Well, I'm sure that when people say haunted, they don't really mean that. You just came back to Eastwood, didn't you? Mm, three weeks ago. There are some that are meant to be wanderers. And others, well, it's no good for them to go looking for things. How long were you away? Nearly eight years. When my mother died, there wasn't anyone here that I belonged to. I thought when you went away that you'd be back. I've been hoping that here, where I grew up, I might find a place I belonged to. A place that when I wake up in the morning, I'd be glad it was another day. When I went to sleep, I'd know that it had been something to have been awake. I've rented the cottage. Does that surprise you? Uh, Mr. Bradford, he's bringing someone here to, today to look at it. They want a housekeeper and maid. Uh, the work won't be hard. You'll get room and board and the regular wages. Oh, that's quite satisfactory. If you think I'll do. Then let's get started. You can get your things from the village later. These people, are they a honeymoon couple? I didn't ask. Oh, I was hoping you were going to renew the old tradition, Mrs. Minnett. What old tradition? Why, the one about this cottage. How for nearly a century it was rented only to honeymooners. That tradition is broken. I broke it. Oh. This 
cottage was deeded to my husband as a wedding present. It was to have been our home. Only I've had to live on here alone. Do you know what loneliness is? Real loneliness? Yes. I thought you might. Come now, and I'll show you your room. It's I, Mrs. Leonard. I'll put the holly on the... Oh, I beg your pardon. That's all right. You must be Laura. Oh, yes, sir. Mrs. Minnett mentioned you. I'm Mr. Bradford. Well, I've been gathering some holly for the mantle. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Minnett is showing my fiancé around. You're the, uh, maid. Yes, Mr. Bradford. I've been examining this goblet. There's an inscription on it, isn't there? But I can't make it out. Oh, it's very old. The man who built the cottage gave it to his son when he was married. He and his bride drank a toast from it on their wedding night. This thing must hold half a quart. You mean to say they killed it all by themselves? Well, so the story goes. <laughs> well, when you had a cocktail in those days, you weren't kidding. There's so many old things about this place. Do they all have a story? Most of them. You must have been here quite a while with Mrs. Minnett. Oh, no. I just came this morning. This morning? But mm-hmm. you seem to know all about this place. Well, I was born in the village. When I was a little girl, I heard all the stories there were about the cottage. It was like, oh, like living near a fairy tale. Next thing you'll be telling me it's haunted. Oh, no, it's not haunted. But it is enchanted. Well, it comes to the same thing, doesn't it? Oh, no. Haunted, that's to be restless, uneasy, afraid. It's ugly. But enchantment... That's to be happy and gay. It's beauty. You see, all the people who lived here loved one another. Look, here in the window. Yes, what is that, that handwriting on the glass? These are their names. Young men and women who in this very room swore to love each other always. Evangeline and Clement, 1814. Judith and Richard, 1798. They wrote that themselves? They're all a part of this place now. Forever. You really believe all this, don't you? Oliver. Oh, yes, dear. Well, what do you think? Well, I admit it's all very charming. Oh, it's much more than that. It's enchanting. I've just received a guarantee that if we spend our honeymoon here, we'll live happily ever after. Oh, uh, this is Laura, darling. How do you do? Is there anything else you care to see, miss? I don't think so, Mrs. Minnett. Mr. Bradford stumbles on your cottage. He's fascinated by it and persuades you to rent it to him. What can I say? In other words, Miss Alexander is delighted by the prospect of spending her honeymoon here. Uh, there are a few questions, Mr. Bradford. Mrs. Minnett, I've filled out so many forms in the past few weeks, I can tell you anything you want to know with photostatic copies. Mr. Bradford means he's applied for a commission in the Army Air Corps. Oh. Oh, but don't worry. The Army won't be my sole means of support. I'm really a very good risk in spite of the uncertainty of my profession. Oh, really, Oliver? We plan to be here at least three months, Mrs. Minnett. It'll take that long to get my commission. It may come sooner than you think. Oh, no, not a chance. Army red tape and everything. Well, we'll be back on Tuesday, Mrs. Minnett, and... What's the matter? I just had an idea. Let me have your ring, darling. My ring? Yes, and come over here to this window. If we're going to stay here, we must observe all the old traditions. Hmm? See those names etched on the window pane? Yes. Our names should be there, too. And if that's a real diamond I bought you, a... here, look, I'll show you. Oliver, you're not going to cut the glass with my diamond. Don't worry, it won't hurt it a... Oh. <sighs> now, look. Oh, I'm sorry, darling. Forgive me? <laughs> what did you do? Let me see. Well, the stone fell out of the setting. I'll have it fixed first thing in the morning. I suppose if I was superstitious, I'd regard this as a warning that we shouldn't get married at all. You're oh. not married yet. That's why it happened. Only honeymoon couples may write their names on that window. Oh, well, we're going to be married on Tuesday, Mrs. Minnett. Maybe we'll have better luck when we return. Well, goodbye and thank you again. Goodbye. And you, uh, Laura, be sure to dust off that goblet for us. Do you know the roads, Mr. Bradford? There's a storm coming up. Oh, well enough. 
Bye. Bye. Goodbye, Miss Alexander. Bye. Hurry, Oliver. Oh, they seem so happy, don't they, Mrs. Minnett? Very happy. You know, I... Why, look at, look at your calendar on the desk. Yes. Well, your calendar's way off, Mrs. Minnett. Let me see. Today is December 7th, 1941, and on here it's April 6th, 1917. April 6th, 1917. Why, you're just 24 years, eight months, and one day off schedule. Let it alone. Let it alone. Jets attack fleet at Pearl Harbor. United States at war with Japan. Germany declares war on the United States. How much more time, Oliver? Only a moment. Darling, how can I thank you? Thank me for what? You're going to war. On the day we were going to be married, you're going to war. I could have stopped you. I would have. But you do believe we did the right thing? I mean in waiting until I get back. Yes, darling, I do. Oliver, why didn't you let your mother come to the station with us? And Freddie, too. After all, your mother and father... Freddie, dear, is Freddie. All right, your stepfather. Oh, he's a good guy. He's well to my mother. But I'm very glad they let us get out alone. Your mother will never forgive you. Mother's upset about just one thing. According to her, they had no right to start a war, especially in December. It's going to mean canceling all those parties. Oh, but you saw how she cried when you left. Oh, it isn't that we don't love each other. It's just that I can never talk to her about anything important. We've always seemed to go past each other from the very beginning. We just don't... You know, looking at you now here in the middle of a railroad station, it occurs to me that I love you very much. Do you? You mean this war isn't just a great big excuse you cooked up to get out of marrying me? No. <laughs> oh, I almost forgot here. I made out a check to that woman at the cottage, Mrs. Minnett. Drop her line, dear, and tell her why we never showed up. I'll tell her that we're modern, intelligent people, and... No, I'll just let her guess. Well, it's time, darling. you mind if I kiss you? Oliver. Oh, Oliver. With the enclosed check, which you asked me to send you the day you reported for duty, we both regret any trouble we may have caused you. It's signed, Beatrice Alexander. You can put the letter in the desk, Laura. If they're not coming, you won't be needing me, Mrs. Minnett. You're welcome to stay. Oh, but I couldn't. Not unless I can be of some help. You can be of help. You're going to rent the cottage to someone else? Perhaps, when the time comes. No. No, I don't. It may be better if, if you gave up the canteen. Oh, I like it. Really, I do. It's a nice walk, and I like the work. Well, I'd better be on my way. I won't be late, Mrs. Minnett. Oh, anywhere, Mrs. Warren, wherever you can find room. Oh, I've never seen so many dishes. Why, you poor darling. You've been at that sink all evening, haven't you? Oh, but then you don't go in for all this modern dancing, do you? No, I don't. Oh, personally, if I did nothing but wash dishes, I... Oh, well, I suppose everyone really does what they're best fitted for, don't you? Oh, I am sorry. That was a terrible thing to say. Oh, please, it, it, it was perfectly all right. Nevertheless, some of the most gorgeous marines I've taken and I insist that you go on out. Oh, oh, no, thank you, Mrs. Dunn. What else would take over here for a change? And you're going to have a good time, I insist. Oh, please, really, Mrs. Warren? I'm the hostess here. You have your orders. Now, step. <laughs> They're the cutest bunch of boys. I can't imagine what they keep in between walls. <laughs> now, see here, 
boys. Why hadn't you got a girl? Well, I'd sure like one, but who? Well, <laughs> we'll fix that. See, there's a girl all alone at that table. Her name is Laura Pennington. Oh, please, lady, we just got a load of Miss Pennington. If you don't mind, we'll sit this one out. I'll go right to bed. Is something wrong? Laura, you've been crying, haven't you? It's nothing. Please. Oh, if only I were not as I am. If only I were pretty. You don't have to tell me what happened. I think I know. Laura, it's not for some of us to try to live like other people. You think you can sometimes. There's always the world to remind you. All the things that other people take for granted. You've got to make up your mind and your heart. They're not for you. You've got to find something else to take their place. Somewhere where you're safe. Where no one can hurt you. That's why I wanted you to be here. Because there's something here for you that there isn't anywhere else. You understand? Yes, I understand. Good night, Mrs. Nenna. Uh, Laura. Wait a minute. While you were in the village, a telegram came. It was from Oliver Bradford. Mr. Bradford? He wants to rent the cottage. Starting tomorrow. Oh, then they did get married after all. Imagine they're remembering the cottage and still wanting to come here. Mrs. Nenna, there is something about this cottage. There is indeed. It needs a good cleaning. <laughs> What a shame. It has to be raining like this. If, if you'll go to the door, I I'll make some coffee for them. Did you get my telegram? Yes, Mr. Bradford. If you don't mind, I'll go straight to my room. You're alone? <clears throat> yes. I see. I'll take you upstairs. Here's coffee, Mrs. Millett, and some sandwiches. Give me and... the tray, Laura. Mr. Bradford came alone. He doesn't wish to see anyone. Alone? Something has happened to him. I don't know what it is. His face. It hides his face. What can we do? Nothing. We can wait. That's all. Yes, perhaps that's better. To just wait. So the curtain falls on Act One of Enchanted Cottage, starring Dorothy McGuire and Robert Young. It's time now for a brief intermission and a chat with uh, Libby Collins, our Hollywood reporter. Sometimes it happens, doesn't it, Libby? A young actress with real dramatic ability gets the break she deserves. I'm thinking of Barbara Hale, who plays the only leading feminine role in RKO's picture, 
first yank into Tokyo. Now, there's a girl who's making a steady rise to stardom, Mr. Stromberg. Yes, she was the unanimous choice of producer and director for the part of the American nurse in their exciting story of a Jap prison camp. I watched her make some of the scenes for first yank into Tokyo on the RKO lot. The setting was an authentic reproduction of a Jap concentration camp, and it was grim, all right. But Barbara, as a courageous young American nurse, looked very beautiful. Don't you agree, Mr. Kennedy? I think she was a fortunate choice. She has plenty of acting ability and good looks. But then, Libby, you know how partial I am to Lux girls. <laughs> well, Mr. Kennedy, a lovely Lux complexion has that effect on a great many people. Barbara's a hard-working young actress, and she's very wise, too. She knows how important soft, smooth skin is to success, on the screen or off. She's chosen a beauty care that nine out of ten famous screen stars, lovely women everywhere, depend on. Barbara Hale says her Lux Soap Active Ladder Facials do wonders for her skin. Here's the simple daily care she never neglects. I cover my face generously with Lux Soap Super Creamy Lather and work it in gently but thoroughly. I rinse first with warm water and splash on cold. Now I pat my face dry with a soft towel. Simple, isn't it? But it works. Recent tests have proved that. Actually, three out of four complexions improved in a short time with this daily Lux Soap care. This fine white soap is a true beauty soap. Screen stars say the gentle, creamy lather is like a caress on the skin. If you haven't used Lux Toilet Soap, why not begin your active lather facials tomorrow? Take them regularly for a while. Then look in your mirror. We're pretty sure you'll say... My skin feels so much softer, smoother, looks so fresh, too. Now I know why Lux Toilet Soap is Hollywood's own beauty soap. Here's our guest producer, Mr. Hunt Stromberg. Act two of The Enchanted Cottage, starring Robert Young as Oliver and Dorothy McGuire as Laura. <laughs> hours have passed. In an upstairs room at the cottage, Oliver Bradford, behind a closed door, the stairs blankly through the rain-streaked window. Below in the kitchen, Mrs. Minnett and Laura wait in silence, while in the front room are two more recent arrivals, Oliver's stepfather and his fiancée. Desperately, they try to figure out what has happened to him. We've been here exactly one hour and 14 minutes, and what good has it done? Why, the boy won't even talk to us. Maybe he'll talk to his mother. She's still up there, isn't she? Pounding on his door, begging him to say something. I thought that when the army dismissed him from the hospital, when he was discharged from the service, that he was well again. Now he doesn't even want us. Well, he was pretty badly bashed up, Beatrice. But there's no sense becoming a mental case over a little injury. Certainly his face is disfigured. But there are thousands much worse off than he is. Maybe if we left him alone. If we let him think things out for himself. There's simply no reason for him to run away from home. Well, here's his mother. He, he just won't talk to me. Couldn't I pour you some tea, dear? That girl just brought some in. Oh, thank heaven, tea. He won't even open the door. I even cried a little. He told me to go away. Then why don't we go? In a few weeks, this forsaken hole, he'll appreciate a little friendly society. Beatrice, whatever happened between you and Oliver? I mean, after he left the hospital. I, I just don't know. Well, something did happen. Did you quarrel? No. We didn't quarrel. Well, but I don't see why you wouldn't go upstairs and talk to him. If anyone can persuade him to leave this bread, I couldn't. But you, you're our only hope. Oh, I wish you wouldn't ask me. But you and he were going to be married. Oh, please try, Beatrice. Very well. I'll try. Oh, bless you, darling. And remember, you must be brave. That's so important. Oliver. Please, Oliver. Won't you speak to me? Won't you? I meant what I said when they sent you home. We can be married. 
We can be married right away. Oh, why did we have to have this terrible war? Oliver, that day you came home, no one had told me. And when you turned and looked at me and I saw your face, I, I just wasn't prepared. That's why you thought I... Oh, I can't help it if I'm weak. Aren't you listening, Oliver? All right. I'll go. I'll go. What do you want? Are you all right, Mr. Bradford? What do you mean by breaking into my room? I'm the maid, Mr. Bradford. I was outside bringing in some logs. There was a flash of lightning, and I saw you by the window. I saw a gun in your hand. Relax, will you? I haven't done anything. Your mother left this note for you. I'm afraid she was very upset when she left this afternoon. Will you please mind your own business? I'm sorry. Don't you understand? Do you think I want people to see me? Light the lamp. I said light the lamp. Yes. Now hold the lamp and look. Look. You saw me before. Doesn't the chain shock you? No. Oh, how can you know? You can't realize what it is to face life disfigured in a... I'm going downstairs now, Mr. Bradford. I'll be back with your supper. Your name was Laura, wasn't it? Yes. Thank you, Laura. What's this out here, the garden? Oh, Mr. Bradford. Good morning. What are you doing? Oh, this is wood engraving. Mm, looks as if you're pretty good at it. Well, I entered some in an exhibit once, some seascapes, and I won a prize. Not a first prize. But it was a prize. Mm. I used to win prizes, too. Tennis, swimming. I once knew a fellow who used to make ship models in glass bottles. Always asking to tell me why. <laughs> I never got a satisfactory answer. Well, I do block prints because... Uh, I like to do block prints, I guess. I never thought of that. That he never did either. You'll find a hobby of your own one of these days, I hope. Be careful. <laughs> You don't want to talk like Freddy, do you? From the way you say it, I'm sure I don't. And I don't even know who Freddy is. That's the best thing that can happen to anybody, not to know who Freddy is. In uh, case you think I'm not making much sense, that's what I think, too. You know, you're a very kind person. You haven't asked me how I feel or if I slept well. You don't seem at all worked up about that gun incident. That was three days ago, wasn't it? Why, have I stayed in my room for three days? I don't know, really. I don't think it matters. Yes. You've got a lot of sense, too. You'd be amazed how few people have any. If you'll excuse me now, I think I'd better get started on the housework. Yes, wouldn't do to neglect the housework, would it? Shall I do Mr. Bradford's next, Mrs. Minnett? I don't think Mrs. Minnett hears you, Miss Pennington. Oh, why, Mr. Hillgrove? It is, Miss Pennington. However did you remember my name? Well, it wasn't so long ago we met. Just a year or so. I'm calling to see Mr. Bradford. Oh? Mrs. Minnett's just gone to tell him. But she warned me that he, he doesn't want to see anyone. I'm very glad you came. He needs friends. You know, this is real adventure for me. This is the first time I've been inside this cottage. 
I must have walked by it a hundred times. It has a strange fascination. Indeed it has. Somehow I feel that if I ever get to know this place, it'll be more than just a cottage. To me, it has a life of its own. Everything connected with it seems so different. Mrs. Minnett, for example. I wonder about her. When she first came here, she came as a bride. But her husband was killed in the last war. On the desk is a calendar, April 6th, 1917. She's never changed the date. Time seems to have stopped for her the day her husband went away. She's withdrawn into the past. Yes. Well, perhaps that's one way to know the future. Mr. Bradford's in the garden. I'll be glad to take you to him. Thank you. Your nephew, where's Danny? Oh, he left me here. Said he'd be down on the shore with his dog. Well, I'll take you to the garden, and then I think I'll find Danny. I'd like to see him. And as long as we're more or less neighbors, Mr. Bradford, I thought we might also be friends. I'm not very good at friendship these days. Sick man, are you? Don't I look like one? I wouldn't know. I'm blind. Oh. I'm sorry. The last war, I was a pilot. That's what I am. I was till they dragged me out of the jungle. You're young. You're men. Oh, you can't see me. How do you know how I look? There's nothing left of me but nerves. Nothing but... Go right ahead. Complain all you want if it makes you feel better. Apparently you never complain. You haven't given me a chance. All right. How in the name of heaven have you stood it all these years? Being blind? Sometimes I feel that as a young man I was blind. That it's only now that I can really see. I don't believe you. Anyway, it would never work for me. Why not? Because I'm not blind. Because I still want the same things I wanted when I had a face that people could look at without wincing. And this arm of mine did more than just hang here. When I was well and strong... I batted my head against many a wall, just the way you're doing. As a matter of fact, I was lost until I found music. And then a whole new life began for me. Music. I don't know one note from another. You'll find something. Yes, how? Where? In yourself. Because you're a human being, not a medical case. You're a man who's come across a place in the road where it... But it branches off. You don't want to go ahead. You want to go back. You don't trust yourself. Oh, how can I trust myself? You must. And you will. Well, I mustn't overstay my first visit. I'll call my young nephew. I believe he's waiting down at the shore. I'll walk down there with you. Oh, I can manage. No, I'd like to. It's the uh, first time I've really felt like walking. Danny, he's bringing the stick back again. <laughs> he sure is a silly old dog. No more I throw the stick out in the ocean when he brings it back to me. <laughs> Maybe he thinks you're a silly old boy. No more he brings the stick back, you throw it out again. <laughs> you can throw it if you want to. Well, thank you, Danny. Thank you. Hey, Uncle John. Goodbye, Miss Pennington. Bye. Come on, old dog. Come on. Welcome to our ocean, Mr. Bradford. Danny was helping me gather some driftwood. Well, uh, how would that be as a hobby for me? A driftwood gathering? <laughs> oh, too practical. Hobby for hobby's sake, it's supposed to be. Well, maybe I could set a new style in hobbies. Well, why don't you try? Here, here's the basket. But you'll have to do your gathering without my help. I still haven't started that housework. <laughs> This driftwood weighs a ton. I told you to leave some for tomorrow. Well, nevertheless, I've made it. Has it actually been three weeks since you introduced me to the wonders of your seashore? Three weeks. 
I think I didn't know the difference between a starfish and a star sapphire. Well, if you'd been in doubt, any fisherman could have told you. Or any Jew of it. <laughs> Look, there's Mrs. Bennett. Surprise, Mrs. Bennett. We brought you some more driftwood. Thanks. That makes just about enough for a dozen winters. <laughs> well, we can always use it. Well, it's probably never been done before, but I could gather up all the driftwood I've gathered and take it back to the shore. <laughs> that would be different. Yes, it's something to think about. But first, I think I'll dump this on the wood pile. It's wonderful, isn't it, the way he's changed. If only they'll let him alone now. They? The letter just came for him. Sooner or later, they'd hear from them. He'd hear from them. Perhaps it's better now. His room is dark. He's just sitting there, the way he did that first night. His supper? He didn't touch it. I brought the tray down. Did he mention that letter? He said nothing. Only that Mr. Hillgrove was coming tonight. He told me to tell him that he won't be able to see him. Well, maybe that's Mr. Hillgrove now. No. No, it's him. Look. Through the window. He's walking toward the ocean. He shouldn't be alone like that. He shouldn't be. Mr. Bradford? Mr. Bradford? What do you want? Oh, did I frighten you? I didn't mean to. But it's so dark I couldn't see. There's little you miss, even in the dark. I thought you might not want to be alone. Or that it might not be safe for me to be alone. I'll go back if you want. Is there anything you want me to tell Mr. Hillgrove? No, nothing. He's leaving tonight on a concert tour, you know. Yes, I know. Laura. Yes? Don't go back, please. These past few weeks I had the idea that the walks we took and talking to me. I hoped I was being of some help to you. And I thought if you needed help now, I... That uh, letter this afternoon, it's from my mother, Freddie. They've decided it isn't good for me to be alone, <clears throat> where I can brood too much. I can go home to their loving care, or they're prepared to make the supreme sacrifice and come to live here with me. They want to know if they shouldn't bring a trained nurse with me. Oh, but they can't do that. Why, nothing could do you more harm There's than... no way to make them understand. No way to escape them. Give me your hand. Promise me you won't give up. Promise. You understand. Because you're thoughtful and kind. Laura, don't be startled at what I'm going to say. Will you marry me? Oh. No, don't pull away. Look at me. I had no idea I was going to ask you that. But I'm glad I did. Will you believe me that the very asking makes me realize I've been thinking about it for some time? And I mean it. With all my heart. If you want to marry me to get rid of your family, there must be dozens of girls who'd suit your purpose better than I. You think I have such a great choice? A casualty for the rest of my life? I understand. I get the chance because oh, I... I'm such a fool. I wouldn't have hurt you for anything in the world. It isn't as if I weren't aware of my ugliness. Women like me... Find a refuge in our dreams, daydreams as well as night dreams, merciful dreams, which were lovely and desirable. It's cruel to destroy those dreams. I only felt that no woman would marry me except out of compassion. I know you have a lot of that. You know how desperate I get at times, but I promise if I felt a black spell coming on, I'd hide away in my room till it passed. But with you, I wouldn't have them often because I like being with you. The sound of your voice, your laughter. 
I know I'm not offering you much, but, well, we are sort of in the same boat, and we would be together. That's so much better than being alone. But I don't want to be your wife just because you need one, and I happen to be here. Don't you see? Yes, I see. You couldn't possibly care enough. But I do care. That's the reason. Oh, bless you, Laura. Bless you forever and ever. From Oliver, a telegram. Why, I never heard of such a thing. What does it say? Tell me. There will be no need of your coming here. Laura Pennington and I were married yesterday. Oh. I'll write more later, love, Oliver. <gasps> married? <laughs> Oh, Mr. Hillgrove, come in, please. Thank you. You uh, came here alone? I took a taxi cab this time. Not Danny, a real cab. I'd been out of town, Mrs. Minnett, a concert tour. When I arrived home tonight, I found a note from Oliver Bradford. Yes. Danny read it to me. Oliver told me of his marriage. Then he asked me to come here as soon as I could. He said something extraordinary has happened to him and Laura. They're out now. They're walking. Everything's all right? Oh, yes. This room... What's happened? It feels different somehow. It's the flowers, maybe. No, no, it's it's more than that. Mrs. Minnett, tell me, please. What's happened to them? I don't know. They see me no more of me than they can help. They're in hiding. Hiding? They keep to themselves all day. And when they go out at night, they they wrap themselves up and cover their faces. <laughs> they oh, they're here now. Excuse me. Laura? Mr. Bradford? Mr. Hillgrove's here, in the living room. Hello, hello. Oh, John, it's good to see you again. Hello, John. I think we should have died if we'd had to wait much longer. Well, what's this about all this mystery? Well, it may be insane, but we sent for you because you're the only one we can trust. We we don't really know how to explain it. it it's fantastic. Oh, Oliver, let me. Not that I'm very articulate about it, but... Well, it has to do with this cottage. I think, John, you know my feeling about it. It's the same as yours. There's something strange here, something... But what has it to do with you and Oliver? Well, it's it's pretty incredible, John. We've changed. Changed? Completely? I can tell that from your voices. You feel different because you're happy. Well, it's more than that. It's a, it's a physical change. We, we no longer look as we did. We're different. John, tell us that it's true. That we have changed. But I, I'm blind. I can't see. That's why we had to tell you first. John, look. Look at us and tell us what your blind eyes can see. We pause now for station identification. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Just a minute, we'll bring you the third act of The Enchanted Cottage with Dorothy McGuire and Robert Young. We have with us tonight one of RKO's prettiest young actresses, Miss Rita Carday. Perhaps some of you may have seen her on the screen. What were your latest pictures, Rita? 
I've appeared in several of the Falcon series, Mrs. Stromberg, and I have a part in George White's Scandal, soon to be released. Well, I understand you got into the movies by uh, quite a long and roundabout route. Yes, by way of Indochina, Saipan, Australia, and San Francisco. You see, my family were living in Shanghai when the Japs came in and we had to run for our lives. Well, it's Hollywood's good luck you arrived safely. Don't you agree, Mr. Kennedy, that Miss Carday is a candidate for success on the screen? I should say I do. If acting ability and fresh young beauty mean anything, I think I really ought to describe you for our listeners, Miss Corday. Let's see. Ash blonde hair, gray eyes, and a gorgeous luxe complexion. There now, Rita. How do you like that word picture? <laughs> really, Mr. Kennedy, it's a very flattering one. You're quite accurate, uh, accurate about my being a Lux girl, though. I've used Lux toilet soap ever since I first learned it was a screen star's own complexion care. Active ladder facials really work, I found. Thank you, Miss Rita Corday. I'm sure pretty girls everywhere will agree with you. They know this gentle care nine out of ten screen stars depend on is quick, effective, and so easy to use. Why not prove it for yourself? Get a supply of this satin smooth beauty soap tomorrow. See if you're not delighted with the gentle, cherishing care it gives your skin. And here's another tip. You'll find Lux Toilet Soap makes a delightful daily beauty bath, too. The rich, creamy lather leaves skin so fresh and sweet. Makes a girl sure of daintiness. Screen stars say they love Lux Toilet Soap's flower-like perfume. Delicate fragrance that clings. Back to Mr. Stromberg and our stars. Act three of The Enchanted Cottage... Starring Robert Young as Oliver and Dorothy, Dorothy McGuire as Laura. Only a few moments have passed since Laura and Oliver have told John Hillgrove of the amazing change that has come over them in the, in the enchanted cottage. The blind pianist can discern nothing with his eyes. He sits motionless and fascinated as they continue the story. You could only see us, John. First as we were, then as we are now. Your eyes would know that we we're telling you only the truth. Perhaps, perhaps if you started at the beginning. We were married in the village, and when we came home, Mrs. Minnett had prepared, prepared dinner. Our wedding dinner. When it was over, she left the room. This room. I could feel Oliver's eyes upon me. I wanted to look at him, but I was afraid of what I might read in his eyes. She knows that this marriage is nothing but my supreme selfishness. The last barrier I can build to keep out the world that I'm afraid to face. What would I have done to her? This girl who sits across the table from me and bows her head. What terribly shabby trick have I played upon her, trying to palm off the broken, bitter shell of a man on one so gentle, so honest. And what can I say to her? There's nothing I can say. Nothing. He is my husband, and yet he can never know how much he means to me, that I've loved him ever since the first day he stepped into this room. I'll never be able to tell him all that was in my heart, because he can never love me as I love him. If only I could make him understand, perhaps through music. The first notes I struck were like the touch of a magic wand. I could feel the room changing. There was a new warmth, a radiance, a strange enchantment embracing everything about me. I turned and looked at Oliver. His scars were gone. The lines of his anguished face had disappeared, 
And I saw him as he was the first day in December. Suddenly I thought, how could I fool myself? How could I be the bride of such a man as this? I started to cry. I rushed from the room. She was gone before I could stop her. I knew how cruelly I'd hurt her. I had no choice. I would release her. Release her from the torture that our marriage meant to her. I found her in the garden. I remembered all her kindness. The thousand and one little ways in which she had lightened my loneliness. And suddenly, I knew how much she had come to mean to me. I took her in my arms to tell her. She was beautiful. More beautiful than anyone I had ever known. That was when we knew, John. That was when we knew. And now we've told you and I'm afraid. I can't help it, but I am afraid. Why, Laura? Why? It's this cottage. Houses are living things alive with all the thoughts and all the memories of the people who've lived in them. But the lovers who came here before were not like us. Ours was a marriage of convenience. They may think that we've profaned their memory and this may be their revenge, letting us have happiness for a moment before taking it away. That's why I'm afraid. I couldn't stand being ugly again for Oliver. Darling, you can't talk like that. John, have you nothing to say? Mrs. Minnett, does she know? She never looks at us, but she knows. I know she knows. Laura, Oliver, take this gift that's come to you and enjoy it without question, without fear. Accept it humbly as a heaven-sent miracle and be grateful for it. A miracle? Don't either of you believe in miracles? Modern miracles that may happen to you or to me today, tomorrow? You've both been touched by a power that is beyond this world. Accept your blessing. Don't speak to anyone about it. It belongs to you. John. Then you understand. You believe? I believe what you've told me. Keep your happiness. Cherish it as you would your lives. I love you so, Oliver. And I have the strangest feeling. Almost as if these walls were breathing. All the memories and ghosts of love. Live, live, live. That's what they seem to say. This is our day and night. All our enchanted life to be lived now. I have a feeling, too, of madness. It's contagious. That's what's nice about it. Listen. What? That song I hear. A melody that whispers all through these enchanted rooms. What does it say, this song you hear? I love you, Laura. That's what it says. The song I hear. Do you have to screw up your nose like that, dear, when you're making wood blocks? Of course, darling. It's just as essential as biting one's tongue when you're drawing. Oh, that's reasonable. You know, I could sit here forever and just look at you. <laughs> Is that all? Well, occasionally I'd want very much to kiss you. <laughs> You see, I... I've been standing here for five minutes. John! <laughs> Waiting to make a less embarrassing entrance. That might take hours. Oh, I'm so glad to see you. You're alone? Yes, I came by courtesy of the milk truck. You know, it's been almost a week since we've seen you. Well, I was in the village just now, and a telegram came in for you, Oliver. I said I'd bring it out. Telegram? Oh, it's for my mother, Laura. She and Freddie. They're coming here today. Well, that's, uh, that, that's fine. It is fine. I'm glad they're coming. I'm only sorry I hadn't asked him to before now. I'm glad too, John. I want him to see how happy we are. But most of all, well, 
I'd like them to see that Oliver didn't do too badly marrying me. Darling. <laughs> well, anyway, I have the most exciting new dress. Mr. And... Bradford. Yes, Mrs. Minnett. There's a car stopping in front of the house. Huh? It's your mother and stepfather. Mr. Bradford, you weren't expecting them. Oh, Mr. Hillgrove. Good afternoon. We are expecting them, Mrs. Minnett. It's so typical of mother not to give us more warning. Oh, but I can't meet them looking like this. Go ahead, you two. I'll entertain them till you're ready. Sure you don't mind? Actually, I'm glad of the opportunity. Well, come along then, darling. We'll have to hurry. Yes. Oh, Mrs. Millett. Yes? Do you suppose we could have an especially fine tea this afternoon? What's the matter, Mrs. Millett? Oh, please, don't be upset. We're really very pleased to have them come. I'm all right. Run along. I'll bring them here, Mrs. Millett. I think you understand. Yes. Yes, I understand. Well, now that we've met, won't you sit down? It's really a very pleasant garden. Oh, thank you. But where's my son, Mr. Hillgrove? Where is he? He and Laura are in the cottage. They'll be out in a moment. And it's good we're alone because there's something I have to explain. He doesn't want to see us. That's it, isn't it? They do want to see you very much. But something extraordinary has happened to Oliver and Laura. They're different people. Different? How? They're on the borderland of the greatest happiness they've ever experienced. But they've changed. They've changed greatly. And I know that this change, as they see it, is not as you will see it. What in the world are you trying to tell us? Suppose I put it this way. When you see them walk out of the cottage, whatever they do, whatever they say, please act along with them. Pretend that the change is as great as they imagine it to be. Change? For heaven's sakes, what change? Oliver isn't well. That's what you're trying to tell me. He isn't well. He's perfectly well. Oh, Freddie, we should have come here long ago. In time to come, when they're ready to face the world, they will have found out the truth for themselves. But now, believe me... It would actually be better if you went away without even seeing him. You can't mean that. How can a mother desert her only son at a time like this? Now, where is he? Oliver! Oliver! We'll be right down, Mother. Remember that the next few minutes may be the most important in their lives. You hold their chance for happiness in your hands. Here they are. They're coming. Oh, Oliver... Oliver. Mother, oh, it's good to see you. And Freddie. Hello, Oliver. Well, you both remember Laura, don't you? I'm so glad to meet you, Mrs. Price. Oh, how do you do? We got your telegram just a few minutes ago. It seemed to add just the note we wanted. You're coming here. Well, Mrs. Millett's getting tea. Oh, and just wait until you've tasted her scone. This is going to be a real party, isn't it? A memorable occasion because you're the first mother, you and Freddie, besides John here. There's nobody else who knows. Knows what? Look here, Oliver. I really Poor think Freddy, it be... it's a greater shock to you than anyone, isn't it? But you'll soon get used to the change. You won't even remember us as we used to look. <laughs> Laura and I actually joke about it now. Mother. Mother, what is it? Oh, my poor boy. You poor, poor darling. But if you're happy... Well, I guess that's all that really matters. Laura, I'm glad he married you, my dear. Believe me, I am. Thank you. It's clear you're such a loyal girl. You've got so much more to give him. So much more than just a pretty girl. Uh, a pretty girl? It's fortunate that Oliver has an income and that Freddie and I can help. That way, you'll be able to stay right on here, the two of you. We'll visit as often as we can, but it won't be necessary for you to see people or even leave here. Here's Mrs. Millett. Would you like some tea? I couldn't swallow a mouthful. I've got a dreadful headache coming on. I know you'll forgive us if we just run along. You poor, poor darling. Goodbye, son. 
don't worry about anything. Goodbye. I'll be in the cottage. Stay here, Mrs. Minnett. Laura, Oliver, I hoped I could spare you this. I don't understand. You've known the truth about us, haven't you, John? You've known all along. Yes, I have. And you've known, too, haven't you, Mrs. Minnett? Tell us the truth. Have you noticed any change in our appearance? Have you? Have you seen any change, whatever? No. Look at us, Mrs. Minnett. There is no change now. None. Why didn't you tell us? There's nothing I could have told you. When I knew you had to find out the truth just now, I thought my heart would break. And yet, what is there really to be sad about? Shall I tell you the secret? Shall I? Please. You love each other. I've watched you from the beginning. And on the day of your wedding, I saw your love blaze up like a fierce flame. Keep your love burning. Keep it burning. And I promise you, you'll never be anything to one another but fair and young and handsome. That's the secret to the only enchantment the cottage holds. And it's of your own making. Just as I am. Broken and old. If my man could rise from his grave and, and walk in this minute and behold me, I should be pretty to him. Yes, pretty to him. John, don't feel badly. I wanted so to help. You did help. If we'd known sooner, it might have been... But now... Now it's all right. Isn't that Daddy's dog? Yes, I guess he and the boy have come to fetch me. Goodbye, John. Goodbye, Laura. There's there's something something that may interest you. I've written some music. About you. About this cottage. Tonight at my house, I'm playing it. There'll be people there. Many people. I want you to come. People? Us? How can we? Think about it. Perhaps you'll change your mind. Let's go into the cottage, darling. How long have we been sitting here? Hours and hours, darling. In all that time, I've had but one thought. Laura, you'll always be beautiful to me. And nothing in this world could ever change the way I feel about you. You know that. Yes, dearest. Oliver, we've never written our names in the window. Somehow I think they'd want us to now. You write mine and I'll write yours. Then I think it would be nice if we paid John a visit. After all, we owe him quite a few visits. There'll be people there, darling. Yes, I know. It's a big world and full of people. And a place for you and me among them. You'll come, Laura. Yes. And so full of pride. So full of pride. In just a moment, our stars Dorothy McGuire and Robert Young will return for a curtain call. Meanwhile, remember, the war is over, but the battle of supply still goes on. Our Secretary of Agriculture tells us that America's supply of fats and oils is still alarmingly low, and it'll be many months before it returns to normal. Used fats are needed to help make nearly everything of which there has been a wartime shortage. Automobiles, tires, refrigerators, vacuum cleaners, irons, nylon, paints, plastics, soaps. The list is endless, and the need is critical. 
So please, please, Mrs. America, keep that fat salvage tin handy on your stove. Put into it every drop of used fat, rendered meat scraps, skimmings from soups and stews, even burnt blackened grease from your roasting pan. Every bit you save is helping every one of us to have more quickly the peacetime necessities we've been waiting such a long time to have. And remember, for every pound you turn in, your meat dealer will give you two red ration points and four cents. We return you to Hunt Stromberg and our stars. Once again, it's curtain call time. And with Bob Young representing the Lux uh, regulars, we're happy to welcome a newcomer to this stage in the pleasant farm of Dorothy McGuire. Thank you, Mr. Stromberg. It's a privilege to be here. I must say, Dorothy, that since your screen success is Claudia, you've had the good sense not to let yourself be typed. Well, I don't know about the good sense, Mr. Stromberg. In my next picture, some must watch. They've cast me as a mute. I don't speak a single line. Well, that's going to present an interesting problem for Lux, Mr. Stromberg. <laughs> yes, a starring part in which the heroine doesn't say a word. It's certainly a new idea for radio. Well, you've got signs around this theater saying, quiet, please. Dorothy, I think you need to get a little more familiar with the way we operate here. <laughs> well, the Lux radio th theater may be new to me, but Lux toilet soap isn't. I've been using it for years for my complexion. And with very alluring results, Dorothy. Bob, but the last time that I worked with you was on the set of Northwest Passage. That's right. I understand that since then you've become uh, quite a family man. Three daughters, Mr. Stromberg. Three? Hey, do you huh. take them to see your pictures? None. I wouldn't run the risk. I did try to take them to Anchors Away, though, and I couldn't get a seat, so I had Metro Goldwyn Mayer run the picture off at home. You're going to make a lot of parents jealous solving the problem that easily. Pictures in your own home. Well, Lux solves the problem, Mr. Stromberg. What are you bringing into people's homes next Monday night? Next Monday night, we're mixing terror with suspense, excitement with mystery, and love with action. In RKO's fascinating drama, Experiment Perilous. And our stars are George Brent playing his original screen role, Virginia Bruce and Paul Henry. It's one of the year's outstanding mystery thrillers. The drama of a young wife torn between fear of her demented husband and love for the man who tries to save her. It ought to make a thrilling evening, Mr. Stromberg. Good night. Good night. Good night. You gave us an enchanting evening with Enchanted Cottage. Our sponsors, the makers of Lux Toilet Soap, join me in inviting you to be with us again next Monday evening when the Lux Radio Theater presents George Brent, Virginia Bruce, and Paul Henry in Experiment Perilous. This is Hans Stromberg saying good night to you from Hollywood. Every day, more than a million and a half men and women in the service overseas relax before a radio or a motion picture screen. In far-off places, in jungles, in isolated villages, or on the high seas, they see the latest pictures or hear this very program you're listening to tonight. Through the efforts of the motion picture industry, the finest pictures are made available to them. And through the cooperation of the Army, the Lux Radio Theater and other famous programs are brought to them regularly. Another of the many efforts that are being made to keep our men and women overseas in touch with home. Hans Stromberg's next picture to be released is Young Widow. Our music was directed by Louis Silvers. And this is your announcer, John Milton Kennedy, reminding you to tune in again next Monday night to hear Experiment Perilous with George Brent, Virginia Bruce, and Paul Henry.